So the nativity, done, it happened, successful? Oh, it happened. It was, well, it was successful as far as a five-year-old says, yeah, it's good. And you're like, well, give me a little bit more yet. Because we're getting a video to watch, but we haven't got it yet. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? No, we haven't seen it yet. Because they obviously, I think from what I hear, it's suddenly big business to go into schools and record the nativity because parents can't go in. Oh, right. So companies are actually, that's their thing for this sort of season. That's their thing for this season. So I imagine, I can't imagine it's being edited in terms of people are being taken out of it. (laughs) Can you imagine if the teacher said, well, if we could lose, I don't know, rock number one and cow number three three wasn't quite on it today. And I think if we could just tweak a little bit of Joseph, we'd be fine. So I think, I mean, I imagine it's just top and tailing it. Sure. Yeah. And some credits. Sending it out. Why not? A few credits. A few graphics. But we don't have it yet. So every day, what, what graphics are you putting on a nativity? <laughs> I don't know. What? Like a whoosh what? or something. What? Some noise of sound effects. <laughs> a whoosh. <laughs> we go. So every day the boys come back and they say, have you got it? Have we watched it yet? And I say, well, no, I, I haven't got it. And they said, but the school is sending you a link. I'm not sure they know what a link is. It's just a sentence they know. Yeah. The school is sending you a link. And I'm like, I haven't, I haven't got a link yet. And they're, so they're, they're a little bit sort of like, when are you going to watch it? But from, from the accounts of two five-year-olds, they apparently shepherd one and wise man one performed their line. It was clear. No one really went rogue and everyone was pretty good. So that, I mean, that's, that's all I can give you to this point. Well, there you go. I mean, all, no disasters. I'm sure. It's all, I'm sure there'll be some bits that were funny. There always are with with kids' nativities, right? At that age, I, I guess you just have to be careful because when you watch it with them, maybe we watch it without them first. Because if you sort of have a chuckle, you don't know how sensitive they are. You know, they say their line, you laugh, you think, "Oh, it's really sweet." They might be like, "Oh, what's wrong? Why are you laughing?" So, I think we're going to have to. Do you know what I mean? Because parents just say, "Oh, is that lovely?" And they're like, "Mom." So. Might have to do a little sneaky watch before I watch it with them. Well, good. And I'm glad he overcame the nerves. Yeah, he seemed to he just, he said, yeah, it was good. And that was it. And I was like, okay. And I'll obviously confirm it when I watch the performance. But we we got a message today from Alina on Twitter. And she said she saw a poem that reminded her of the discussion that we'd been having about nativity. Oh, nice. It's called Rolls and it's by Brian Bilston. And, and here we go for you. He never got to play the part of Joseph. He was one of those kids nobody noticed. It's quite a sad poem, actually, oh, well, should I yes. just say. It's yeah, a rough it's a start. Sad. Yeah, he hasn't started well, has <laughs> it? The type barely seen and more rarely heard. No innkeeper, Herod or second shepherd. So I feel a bit better because I had a, a first shepherd and a first wise man. Not once did he wear the crown of a king, nor the wings of an angel, although he could sing. Instead, he would be brown cow number four, a rock or a bauble. Or the stable door. I mean, that that's the worst job right there, the stable door. All these years later, it still made him wince, for it seemed that his life hadn't changed that much since. <laughs> oh, I think the rock is way worse than a stable door. Because at least oh, no, a stable door, on. you might have to move. No, but a stable door, someone is actually going to have to open you to get in. No, yeah, I, you at least I, have to, you have some sort no. of direction. No, a rock just sit there. I think, I think a bauble's quite nice because you might be shiny. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you could a, dress up nicely. Dress like a shiny bauble. Yeah. I think a rock you could just chill out on the stage, but a stable door. No, I'm sorry, but if you went home, if if your little fella, if Roger in a few years comes home and says, "Mum, I'm a stable door," yeah, I mean you're going to be proud of him because he's in it, but you don't you don't. No, want I won't. <laughs> Stable door. You see, you see, there's a stable rock. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I think it's a toss up between between a rock and a stable door as to 
the, the, the part possibly you don't want your child to be despite the fact you'll still be proud of them but no it was Elena thank you for the poem it's quite a sad poem um, but nativity went well and when I finally get the link that I keep being told I'm going to be sent a link I'll let you know um, how it turned out um, brilliant yeah so we're going to report back it's, it's meant to be the off season in tennis and normally during an off season there's a lot more ish than tennis because there's yes. no tennis there is a ridiculous amount of tennis. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's and largely to do with the season that we didn't really have this year because of COVID and trying to make plans, which as we record this on Tuesday are still unconfirmed for some kind of season, at least for the first part of next year. Yeah, I've given up making plans, but I think that's mainly because <laughs> I've got a newborn and plans are not a thing. Times are not a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't don't worry about plans or or schedules or tournaments. But as again, this is all unconfirmed. I think it was it was um, put out in Lakeep. A journalist from Lakeep put out the the early ATP schedule. Then Open Court Steph Miles did a piece on the WTA schedule and how they're going to kind of mesh and where they're going to be and. What we know is, well, unconfirmed, what we know is that off Auckland, Pune, New York, Rio and Indian Wells, off. All gone. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But some of those were happening at uh, the same times, I believe, or maybe not. Or maybe it covers a, a longer period of time than I'm imagining. Uh, yes. So it's the provisional, I'm going to call it provisional because it's not entirely confirmed or set in stone yeah. because nothing is. Um but it, that takes us up to basically the beginning of Miami. So we don't know about Miami moving forward, I believe. I haven't heard anything about Miami. I heard someone say that Miami might be Miami, but played not in Miami. So therefore, I'm not sure how it could be Miami. Oh, Cincinnati and New York style. Yeah, nice. a little bit. They might just move move it to a different country altogether. Oh, that would be... I think it, it would be a stretch to still call it Miami at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Miami in Belgium. <laughs> yes, uh, that uh, it's just very. I mean, it's just very confusing. So the the provisional, it's much better than my unconfirmed. Would be, and this is ATP. Would be Delray Beach would kick things off beginning of January. Then you would have the ATP Cup. I imagine a slimmed down version and an ATP two hundred and fifty the week before the Australian Open that would start the eighth of February. And then following that, we've got Montpellier, Cordoba, Rotterdam, Buenos Aires, another new 250, Doha, Marseille, Santiago, Acapulco and Dubai. And that takes us up to, what, mid-March. I mean, there's. I think there's, look, anything can happen, anything can change. It's good, though, and it's important, isn't it? For you as a player, you need to know, even if it's, there's a chance it could change, you need to know roughly what you're kind of looking at, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, remember, a lot of nations need visas for places as well. So if they're sort of changing schedules last minute, that can be slightly difficult. I mean, of course, they're, they're pretty good at it. But um, yeah, I think the important thing, and it seems like this is what they're doing, is to get the 250s on, to get that level of tournament on. Um, yep. Because that's what's going to support the players as, as much as possible. And also, if you only have, say, one on, it's just going to be absolutely nails because everybody's going to play it. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like, the you know, if the Grand Slam goes ahead um, and then they just get on as many 250s as possible, uh, that is probably the the minimum, I suppose, they would be hoping for. But, as I say, you don't know. Australian Open qualifying to happen in Dubai. Right. So that will happen in Dubai and then the qualifiers 
will then fly to Melbourne to go into the, the quarantine with the players who have already qualified. And then I think, is it, they're saying maybe five or six will be added to that in case you get the people that drop out, your lucky losers. Oh, so there will be some lucky losers on site this time. I think they're going to, I think from what I've, it's amazing, isn't it? We're reading so much. A lot yeah. of this is coming through social <laughs> I'm just letting media. you talk because I've, <laughs> I've become a bit lost. I know. Normally, I just sort of throw this to you and sort of let you sort of piece this together. Now I'm piecing it together for you. And this is made up of lots of different reports from lots of different people from lots of yeah. different sources. But the latest on this was that qualifying would take place in Dubai. They would then get on that plane all together, fly and go into the little sort of lockdown quarantine hotel. And there would be a handful of lucky losers. Right. Yes. So qualifying taking place when? Couple of weeks before, right? Because they got a quarantine. Yes, and that would, and it's and it's full qualifying in Dubai. Yeah, it will all. Yeah. Ha- it's it, whoever came up with this, they deserve they deserve a pat on the back. They deserve a large drink. They deserve whatever they want because this is it's so complicated even to talk about. But it's absolutely incredible that this is coming together. I mean, how many people does this involve in terms of tournaments either moving? making way completely, new tournaments starting, flights from the Middle East over to Australia to put people in a hotel to quarantine to get a Grand Slam to take place. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? But yeah, it'd be great to have the uh, the qualifying, of course. You know, it's another group of players. I say this all the time. You know, they are in a really tough spot, those sorts of rankings between 100 and 250. So to try and look after them, and especially because there are fewer tournaments, it's not like they're going to be getting into those sort of 250 events. So it's um, it, it's really important. So I'm really pleased to see that. And um, it kind of seems to make sense, but it's quite it feels quite radical, doesn't it, qualifying in Dubai? Do you think it's the bit that makes sense is temperature wise? Because you wouldn't want something to happen if they had to go somewhere a lot cooler and then turn up in Australia and you've got the Australian summer. So you need to you need to do it somewhere a where COVID is managed, controlled or not existent and be somewhere in terms of a temperature that it's not a massive shock to the system when the players then turn up in the Australian summer. Yeah, I suppose they will have a couple of weeks, won't they, to adjust in Australia. But yeah, absolutely. They would all want to be training, doing their off season in in hot countries. We've got lots of players out in Dubai already. Um, we've got players training, at, you know, in all sort of, of course, Monte Carlo, very popular place. Lots of players live there. So, um, you know, players trying to get, although Monte Carlo is not going to be that hot, to be fair. Um, but players will be, be trying to get the sun, get the heat, um, get prepared as early as possible. So yeah, I mean, it, it seems to suit, doesn't it, Dubai? I mean, it's something that I... Pff, I can't say I would have ever thought of that as like an option if I was part of the team trying to figure things out. But yeah, it seems seems quite radical, but like it will work. Yeah, I'd say it's incredible. Whoever came up with the idea and the fact that they're going to piece this all together and when it when it is confirmed is uh, well, it's it's a phenomenal feat. I know things can change and are still changing. I mean, as we speak, where you live, you've just gone into tier three, which means are you are you yep. pretty locked in, locked down, locked up? Tier threes, yeah, fairly strict. Although, I mean, it's well, it, it's not really. I mean, restaurants and bars and stuff are closing, but they're keeping everything else open. So schools are open, shops are open, that sort of thing. You just no household mixing, um, just stricter rules on that sort of thing. So I think we start tomorrow, Wednesday. Right, okay. So you've got a, a little bit of free. We're staying in tier two, which means for those listening outside the UK that where I am, 
we can meet in groups of six in say a garden and restaurants and bars are open and if you're freelance you can actually have a business meeting in a restaurant if you see what I mean yeah so yes. you can actually yes. eat with someone from outside your household in a in a restaurant I mean the rules change the whole time and apparently they're going to change again as we head into Christmas when it's it sounds like it's a bit of a free-for-all for for five days over Christmas and then we will see what happens after that. But in terms of, of tennis, they're, they're piecing it all together. But one bit of news, one person who came out this week who was having a little bit to say is Roger Federer because initially people thought he would be ready and all set for Australia having missed the majority of this year with, with his knee problem. He's now said, and he was speaking at the Swiss Sports Awards, which incredibly, he was voted best Swiss male sportsman of the last 70 years. Oh, is that that was a thing, was it? Yeah, but it was actually of the last 70 years. Not ever, not in recent times, but it was a very specific... Was seven... there someone amazing before that? Yeah, I'm just wondering <laughs> what happened. You, you do wonder what happened 70 years ago. <laughs> but he he went to the awards and he was asked about a number of things afterwards and it was just interesting some of the things he was coming out and saying he said that the knee wouldn't be ready for Australia he wants to get oh, it oh no they've even delayed it for him come on <laughs> but and, and it's sort of and you sort of think look if the knee's not quite right he's in his 40th year there's all this sort of quarantining bits and pieces it's you, I, I, I can see why the decision was probably made it, it's not the ideal circumstances in which to return yeah and well it'll be a full year right full year out yeah no matches um by the end of the australian open and he said he's prioritizing wimbledon the olympics and the u.s open fair enough pretty big tournaments so that's that's gonna be (laughs) makes sense (laughs) it's 2021 aim but then he said i hope that i'll find the courts again in 2021 this is a quote from federer we'll see but if my career ends here that's just a Big statement in itself. Well, it would be incredible to end it with this reward. Oh, wow. Oh, no. He's, he's whipping everyone up into a frenzy, isn't he? Is this the first time? I mean, he said a while back that he had no plans of retiring. He wouldn't be retiring in 2021. But is this the first time we're hearing him talk like this? Whether it was, whether it is the knee, whether it's just a year out that he's had time to think and assess things, whether, I don't know, it just, I I. I feel that for the first time, it's a very real possibility that that next year could be his last year. Yeah, I think so. I think this is clearly something really significant, a full year out, and he still doesn't even know whether he's going to be ready. I mean, it might be might be later on. It might not be till the summer. It, as he says, it might not be at all in 2021. So it's just one of those things that he's got to manage and maybe it's just more difficult to recover from than he anticipated. If you think back to say Andy Murray with his hip, I know it's a totally different situation. He was much younger, but he just didn't recover from the surgery like he expected to. And like others had, uh, and, uh, everything just slowed down and took longer and was incredibly frustrating, had to have more surgery, that sort of thing. So you just don't really know. But I mean, I don't think if we, if we had a full year out from Federer, I don't know if we have because we had the back injury that was that was I mean we've had significant injuries over the past sort of five years or yeah. so, but um, for to do a full year and then um, you know and then look to try and come back if he's not a hundred percent, that's pretty tough going. Good news is is he'll still be have, have a ranking, he'll still be ranked, <laughs> which is uh, you know pretty pretty new. So. Um, I'm sure he will. He will. He will try his best. But it's just a guessing game at this point, isn't it? But yeah, 
it does sound like it's going to be a tough one to come back from it. And as he says, it'll be a bonus if he can. It's such an interesting time. I think the pandemic and the time away from the sport, even for those players who have a full life post-tennis. So you know that when they hang up the racket, there is so much that they can do and that they will do. I think it must be, I, I don't know if this came into it at all with you, but even for the players like a Nadal or a Federer who've had such a full career and continue to have one, it must still be or still have been slightly terrifying thinking about life not traveling and not playing tennis. And it feels like what the pandemic's done with that enforced break is made them realize that it's not so bad and that life without traveling, playing tennis every day, yes, they still love it, but then they also love the things they've been doing when there hasn't been any tennis, almost preparing them in a way for life after tennis. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's probably relevant for a lot of players. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always find, and it's the same at any stage, if somebody's thinking about stopping, whether it's that they're at the end of their career, um, whether it's because they want to have a family, whether it's because they're injured, or whether they just have maybe fallen out of love with the sport. I mean, all of these things are reasons. You know, I always think that the biggest way to resolve it is to have that break um, and then see, see what the other life is like, see whether you are actually ready to retire or whatever it is. I mean, with an injury, you have less choice about it, to be fair. <laughs> but um, but with, with the other ones, if it's sort of an, a mental or emotional thing, it's it's have a look and see. And you never know, you might actually love your life outside of tennis and you might be really excited by it. Or you might think, actually, I miss tennis so much. I mean, look at Ash Barty. I mean, look what she did. I mean, it's so brave to do that, to take that time out, to go and play cricket, to go and live her life in a different way. And she realized, actually, if I change my mentality, if I get back into tennis, tennis is what I love to do. I mean, she's got the burden of being ridiculously talented at so many different things. So, you know, tough to make a decision when you have that many options. But, you know, and she came back and she clearly now loves tennis and, of course, is number one in the world. So, you know, that's, that's an example. And I, I say it a lot to parents as well of children when they come to me and say oh they don't want to play anymore and I'm like let them let them have a few months or however long they they yeah. need let them go the summer without competing and see what summer is like without competing because I tell you what it can be unbelievably boring um and sometimes you just don't know that and then you go and you suss it out and then you might come back to it or you might not and either way I think the outcome is going to be the right one here's a question for you will 2021 be Roger Federer's last season on tour Oof. I don't and know. I know when, we, did, when did you first ask that question? 2016? No, I, but, but I feel, I feel <laughs> now, I feel I've been asking that for quite a few years. But with these comments and with the knee that seems to have, have dragged on, and I think probably that the break with the pandemic just gave them that little bit of extra time in terms of, right, you know, I'm not going to rush this and et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not going to Australia. And he's prioritizing, prioritizing as we said, Wimbledon, the, the Olympics and US Open. But I guess there's a few more... There's a few more things coming out now. I don't know. And there'll be Roger Federer fans saying, no, he's never going to retire. But the truth is, and I, I just don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but he is going to retire one day. And he is in his 40th year. And the injuries are starting to come a lot more frequent than, frequently than they did. So I, I, I will I will say that I think 2021 will be his last season on tour. I mean, if I don't think he wants to be in a situation maybe similar to, say, Andy Murray with injuries it being sort of off yeah. and on trying again trying again trying again um and, and, and i'm not saying that because andy's doing it wrong or anything like that it's just purely because federer's a lot older 
it's just he just doesn't have the time to do that whereas Andy could say right I'll spend two two or three more years trying to get back and trying to get more consistent with being able to play at that level um you know his body just keeps breaking down but for for Federer it, it, I think I think if that were the situation, if he tried to come back and then the knee was still a problem or something else flared up or whatever, I, I can't see him sort of trying again and again and again and again. Um, I think that would probably spell the end of his career. So I don't know. It's just a guessing game, isn't it? It's tough to tough to say. Um, I don't know whether I have ever fallen into the trap of saying that this might be Federer's last year. I think I may have done it with other people. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to make... I'm going to... I'm going to yeah be confident in that and and say that I don't think I've ever said it's his last year because a lot of the talk has not been about his body but it's been about his form and the fact that he, you know not winning slams for example but okay but last year's Wimbledon final you know come on <laughs> he nearly won it to be fair he wasn't it's not like he's losing in the third round um so yeah, I think the conversations before I've always sort of brushed off because it's just basically been like, well, what's the point in him playing if he's not going to win any more Grand Slams? And I would say, well, that's ridiculous. He absolutely could win more Grand Slams. And also, I think he just enjoys playing and winning because he still wins a lot, even if you lose the last match, right? So, um, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't think I've ever said he's going to stop. It seems fairly likely this could be his last year. <laughs> I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get an answer. Am I? <laughs> well, I don't know whether he'll even play. I don't know. I mean, who knows how bad the knee is? All right. Okay. So he could have had his last year is what you're saying. Maybe. That's what he Ooh. said. Ooh. Yeah, he they, did. They, had, trying... they were his words. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a go at me for that. I've not plucked that up in air. <laughs> so we don't know. I've kind of taken the leap. And well, what do I you think? think? Maybe next You year. think it is? I, I... I think so. Look, it's we've been talking about this for so long. It just seems a few more things he's been saying. And I think this break has made a lot of people think whatever stage of their career they are at, it's made them think, it's made them realise, you know, if I stay at home from it, it's not that bad. And I've got other things going on. And if I'm not travelling every week, it's not the end of the world because it's something they've done for years. And I think it's it's changed the perspective a little bit and made them think, you know, when I finally do hang up the racket professionally, actually life's pretty good even if it looked pretty good anyway I think that being forced to stop playing and not allowed to injury or the pandemic I think that it's changed a few things possibly so yes I will say that next year I apologize to Federer fans will be his last year yeah I think it's interesting isn't it because tennis players only if they did an off season at home they'd only ever get six weeks it's yeah. a it's a weird amount of time because it's not like you can sort of do a lot of stuff because obviously you're training and you're going to have a holiday and a, and a break in there as well and catch up with some people but it's the amount of time that can be sort of fairly boring and if you're injured you're rehabbing all day every day and you cannot underestimate how boring rehabbing is it doesn't matter what injury you've got to be doing that all day every day it is so tedious um that it will just oh, just drive you to distraction so i think that actually I think when people first stop, the six weeks you kind of, you know, you're used to and then that becomes a couple of months, it becomes a few months and you start to sort of drift and you're not necessarily sure what you're doing, what your direction is. Um, and that can become quite tough for, for people. But then once you go past that uh, and or, and if you know you've got a, a block of time, then you can start getting things in place a little bit more. So I think with people having so much time this year, you can start getting into routines. You can find out what you like, and um, and I, and you know start getting your life sort of in shape away from the court. And it, it sort of 
forms something that you can grip onto and go, okay, yeah, actually, that's all right. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We had a question from Nat, who did say, Happy Holidays to you both. Hey, Nat. It was, Hiya, gals. I was wondering if Naomi knows much about the whole system of patrons investing in players at a young age and then taking parts in earnings later in their career. How would that whole thing transpire and at what age? How many players actually go on to have careers worth the investment? And isn't it a lot of pressure for a youngster? And, I mean, there's a lot of questions in here from that. And the final one is, how common is it? And I think this is a, this is a really interesting subject to to talk about. And it's something that we don't often hear a lot about. There's a few... I find players from, from Asia, if they win a title, they might thank their sponsor in the speech and thanks someone who has been backing who has been backing their career but it's it's not something I find that we often talk about no it, it's actually not I mean we talk a lot about federations you know in the Grand Slam nations particularly the the rich federations um you know in, that's ultimately sponsoring kids but I mean, at the end of the day, tennis is an expensive sport to play as a professional uh, and it costs everybody pretty much the same amount of money. So, you know, we have a thing in, in the UK. I'm sure we have it in the States and in France and in Australia where people think that money's handed out too easily and that kids are spoiled um, and that means that they're not driven. Well, it costs the same amount of money for everybody to play, whether you have a federation or not. You either get your money from a federation, you either get it from your family, your parents, because you're rich enough, um, or you get it from a private sponsor. That's the, the basically the, the three options um, in, in terms of traveling. And that has to start happening from a fairly young age. So the private sponsors, the, the patrons would probably work with um, agents. So agents, you know, part of their job is to be a talent scout a talent spotter to sign people up young they go to orange bowl which has just happened last week um they go to the tarbs for example which is a european event it's an under 14 event for some of the top european players so you know nadal has played there djokovic you know, all those sorts of players uh, and they spot the talent and it's not necessarily the ones who win although they tend to gravitate towards the ones who win um but also you know the ones that perform well and and you know they will be out there they will be hands-on they'll be chatting to people chatting to coaches they will have coaches they trust as well so um you sort of yeah they they, they might clump together you have an agent who has a coach that he trusts in terms of spotting talent and then also has you know a patron who is willing to put money in to, to do that so that's where it would start probably about the age of 12 13 I imagine is when they would start start taking them on but really from whenever uh the the player starts looking like somebody who might be professional um and then uh was not interested in terms of how it works like financially yeah well I'd be interested in how it works well so they'll they'll do some sort of lump sum per year potentially i mean everybody will do it differently whatever works for them but it will normally be um i'll give you x amount each year uh once you are in the top 100 or top 50 you can pay me back 
by way of a percentage of your prize money. Some patrons will just do it for the fun of it and they'll say until you've paid back all of the money I've given you. Others will say until you've paid back all the money I've given you plus 20%. Um, and others, um, depending on their situation, will just say it will be 10% for the rest of your career uh, and that's it. And I'm just hoping you're going to win Wimbledon because that'll be lovely. Yeah, there, there are all different sorts of ways you can do it. I personally know a patron who would only want their money back and they're just doing it because they want to be involved with that player. They want to help that player. Um, and they've been involved with a number of successful players and has done a fantastic job, again, working with an agent and a coach in terms of that team. Because also, if you're giving, if you're putting money into somebody, and also if you're an agent of somebody, it's important that you get good coaching on board. You can't just let them work with whoever they want to. <laughs> you, you're invested in them, aren't you? So, um, yeah, it can it can work in any one of those ways, but it's absolutely huge um, by way of, of private sponsors. It's not particularly big, as I say, in the uh, rich countries like the UK, like the States, the, the ones that have the slams because the money comes from the Federation. But as I say, if you get a hundred grand from the federation or you get a hundred grand from a private sponsor, I mean, it doesn't make any difference The you know, it, maybe you have less responsibility to the federation, but you don't really. How much say would a patron have in terms of if, if they have invested all this money, do they have a say in your coach? Would they turn up to training sessions? Would, you know, how involved actually are, and they might be a fan of tennis, but they might know nothing about tennis in terms of the technical side of things, the coaching side of things, but their money is what is keeping this player going. So so how much how much say would they have? Yeah, I just want to say that uh, if you can hear the grunting, that is, uh, <laughs> that's the baby. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but he's he's just joining in. He's, uh, he's agreeing. Um, yeah, so in terms of the say that they would have, again, I think it's just individual. I mean, some... As I say, if if you're the sort of person that wants, just wants to, you, you, the contract you have would be to get your money back, um, for example, then that is to somebody that really wants to help, is clearly passionate about the sport, believes that they can, they can, they can help and, and just wants to be involved. So that is the sort of person that will be sort of just supporting wanting to come and watch matches you know so you're obviously you know if you're playing at Wimbledon you're probably going to get them some tickets to come and, <laughs> come and It'd watch It'd only be you. fair wouldn't it? <laughs> you know that sort of thing so um yeah and I think they just want to make sure that everything's okay and that you're working with the right people and um, you know if you're somebody that wants to ultimately you're seeing it as an investment and you want to you know make some money out of it at the end of the day then you're probably going to be a little bit more particular but you know, I've seen it work in, in all ways. I mean, there are plenty of players that have private sponsors that end up not being professional tennis players and get stuck just like everybody else, just like players who get funded by federations. It happens all over the places. They're, they're no different. But, uh, you know, I suppose when it comes to um, an independent sponsor, you just you need to thrash everything out at the beginning, just understand what both sides want from it, um, because it will be a long-term contract. Uh and uh you know but i've seen it work absolutely brilliantly well and you know they absolutely love it as well that's the thing is i think for the most part they just really want to be involved and and also they get the perk of being able to go to the tournaments to watch right so they get to get to go and watch their player be associated with them and and really enjoy the journey with them which is a fantastic thing they're they're part of the team they're a huge part of the team and you'll get patrons that will sponsor more than one they might take a a, a group of players invest in a group of players not just one player 
oh yeah, well, you know, if you invest in three players heavily, then the chances that one of them pops because you, you know, look, potential is potential. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult to tell who is actually going to 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 do well in the end. So if you kind of yeah, if you go for say three different players, you know, men, women, or boys, girls, different ages, just whoever you know people think or that you think really is um worth it uh, i mean the biggest thing is the work ethic they're they're not going to have it if you're not working hard that it's just it's not it's just they're just pouring money into you if you're not going to be trying in all of your matches and if you're going to tank here and there and just roll over and whatever they're, they're not going to be happy with it or if you're injured all the time they're going to be saying well can we not sort this out like you need to compete um but all of that is what a good coach would be doing or what the federation would be doing if they were funding you as well so it's it's no it's absolutely no different a financial sponsor is a financial sponsor whichever way whichever way you cut it really but nat asked she said isn't it a lot of pressure for a youngster and i think i would feel more pressure if the money was coming from an independent patron rather than a federation interesting why is that just because the federation it's almost the, the view is that they're supposed to do it. It, it, it a little bit. I mean, it, a little bit that the federation that is that is why they that is why they are there. That is why I would go to them. But if it's an individual who is putting in their own money because they've seen something in me, not to say I wouldn't want to fight and work hard for the federation, but I think I would feel maybe it would work on the flip side that I would work harder if it was just a someone who loved their tennis who wanted to invest in me but I think I don't know I think I'd feel a little bit more pressure that this person's hard-earned money is going on me as an investment and I would feel that pressure to succeed to pay them back yeah um I I think so but it's also it's their choice to get involved and it's their um you know it's normally not a huge amount of money for them you know these people tend to be very wealthy and just to have a passion for tennis and, and want to help people. I personally think that the the most pressure would be if your parents were paying for it. So say, you know, your parents, because, you know, you have all these stories. So like when I was young, you know, my my mom took on a second job and worked at weekends. So she was working seven days a week to be able to pay for my tennis and, you know, all, all those sorts of things. You know, the sacrifices that they make every weekend driving you around to different tournaments and, you know, no holidays because all of the money is going into to one thing. And and yes, tennis is expensive, but it doesn't mean you know you have to be absolutely loaded and wealthy to to play it. We were we were fortunate enough that with some sacrifices, we were able to afford it. But that I mean, I I've, I felt huge amounts of pressure. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Now, thank you very much for that question. If you do ever want to get in touch with us with questions, you can do so via Instagram, via our website, which is tennispodcast.com or Twitter, the tennis account, or Naomi and I are both on Twitter. Now, we've got something happening this week, which I thought you were going to be a part of, but you're not a part of, probably because of the little fella, is we've got an ATP tennis radio end of year quiz. Now, I assumed that you would be part of one of the teams. I look through the teams and you're not there. I'm not there. Have you got a good team? Well, so we've got, see which team... Right, which team you think is stronger here? Okay. So we've got Team A, which has got myself, um, Lucy yeah, it's Earl. a rough start already. Oh. <laughs> Lucy Earl, <laughs> Barry Cowan. Yeah, that's that's great. And Seb Lozier. People who don't know, okay. Seb does a lot of work for ATP Tennis Radio, also does a lot of work on rugby. The rugby isn't going to be of any use on this quiz, though, so he's got to have the tennis. And um, we should just say Barry Cowan of penis fame. 
Yeah, lovely. Uh, for people... <laughs> we <laughs> can just leave it there well, no, if you want. I, I, we don't I need think, to explain I think it. No should. context. Right, there we go. <laughs> there'll be people typing that in Google, won't they? <laughs> Wondering what they come up with. <laughs> I wonder if there'll be a question along those lines in the quiz. Uh, team B is Peter Mercato, Brian Clark. It's got the more international feel, this team. Uh, Jill Krabis. So somehow we're getting people together from Australia and America and Miles from, from England. And Miles McLaggen. So I think, okay, in terms of the competitive team, it is definitely Team B. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> if it comes down to competitiveness, you're going to get walloped. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, I mean, Barry Cowan is, I would, it's very competitive as well, but I think with Peter Mercato in there and Miles, I think that's a very, so which team do you think is stronger? Team A or Team oh, B? Oh, well, the competitive team. International Team B. I thought you were going to go with, with my team, Team A. No, Thanks. sorry. Ken, I was wondering, if um, if if the little fella is asleep, could I cheat? Could I just ask you for answers? Could you Google things for me? Oh, yes. Marvelous. Definitely. Lovely. Definitely far <laughs> them away. I love cheating on a quiz. The best oh, thing. wow. Okay, brilliant. It's uh, Chris Bowers is coming up with all the questions and it's all going to be Zoomed. So I don't know how it's going to work or how it's going to sound and how we can confer with our teammates when we're just all on this thing. Um, but yeah, if you could be if you could be to hand, that would be very useful. Okay, all right, I'll be there. Well, I won't. I might be asleep, but there you go. Oh, right. Okay, if I'm but... awake, I'll, I'll help. I don't know what I'm bringing. I don't have the knowledge. No, but you've got Google. Have you? Oh, that's true. You and no Google. one looking at me. Exactly. So you could Google. I'll have my phone on silent together you can almost be and, and if anyone asks you're just the fifth member of our team you wanted to be involved and i found this was a way to get you involved okay perfect is that a good I'll idea say, i'll just say i was cheerleading it's fine exactly and for our we're going to do a, a christmas special of the podcast but now that you've been plunged into tier three oh yes we won't we won't <laughs> be anywhere near each other no we stay stay very very far apart you enjoy your tier two freedom um, I'm going to although my, everything's my... relaxed over Christmas so I could come around for Christmas yes but we'll have done our special by then oh yeah true yes. <laughs> that's a terrible but, idea but yes but you, <laughs> you still can come around if you'd like to over Christmas but if anyone wants to let us know their 2020 highlights then we'd love to hear again Twitter website or Instagram you guys you are a massive part of why we do this podcast uh, the, we... the main part <laughs> To be honest, it is actually. I mean, yes, we would. If we weren't doing this podcast, we would still be chatting like this pretty much every day. But this, it's it's lovely hearing what we hear from the people who listen. So, so thank you. Let us know your highlights. We're going to keep going through twenty twenty one, and we are going to have a Christmas edition for you next week. Yes, a socially distanced tennis Christmas special. Yes, and if you're one behind, I wish you a happy Christmas now. Oh mm -hmm. right, okay. You're going to do the happy Christmas. I feel that's. I've even Why got not? a. I've even got a Christmas jumper this year, first time. Oh, have you? Oh, I've never yeah. seen you in a Christmas jumper. Well, okay. You might Can't just do that on our socially distanced tennis Christmas party podcast special. Brilliant. I'll see you then. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Right. See you then. Look forward to it. Bye. Bye.